Good morning. It is Kale and Company Live. Great to have you with us on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental Covers Me. Dot com. And before we get started today, just want to congratulate head coach Duncan Walsh and the Concord High Crimson Tide hockey team. They finished their regular season on Saturday with a 3-1 to victory at Hanover against the Hanover High School Bears. And Concord 18-0-0 on the year. And they will begin their quest for a fourth consecutive state championship on Saturday at 4 uh, at the Everett Arena against a an opponent to be determined uh, this week. So uh, we will talk more about that later on, but let's welcome back to the show, and always great to have her with us, Anna Brown, the uh, Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org, on Facebook, and all over the place. And uh, Anna, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Good morning, Ken. Great to join you. Well, it is uh, always, always fun to have you with us, uh, and always very informative as well. And uh, last week, an article that uh, you wrote for Business NH Magazine was published in the Concord Monitor. I'm sure many of our listeners saw that article, and it was uh, all about the the backgrounds of our current state representatives. Uh, share some of the findings findings that uh, that you had and, and wrote about in that piece. Sure. So perhaps unsurprisingly, the most common experience was some other form of public service. We have a lot of veterans, over 10% have some military service in their background. Also law enforcement and fire departments and teachers and school administrators. Um, overrepresented careers, ones that are lo- larger in the New Hampshire legislature than they are in the New Hampshire economy, are attorneys which does not surprise me (laughs) since they're making laws in the legislature. (laughs) But what did surprise me me was engineers. So 8% of representatives self-identify as engineers, and they're really a much smaller percentage of New Hampshire's workforce, around 2% probably. So I'm not sure. These engineers must think that they they just know New Hampshire's system needs tweaking like a car engine or a a duct system. I don't know. Um, also overrepresented real estate and landlord property management work. So that also, I think, would reflect the fact that the New Hampshire legislature is basically a volunteer full-time job at some point. So, you know, if you work in that sort of career, you're going to have a lot of flexibility during your hours. It might be easier to serve. Right. Sure. If you have flexibility in your schedule, that would be uh, uh, the only way it could uh, possibly be accomplished because really... Uh, serving in the legislature, even though it's only a hundred dollars a year and mileage, uh, is uh, is you know can be a full time job if you want to make Absolutely. it that way. Yeah, I mean, especially during a budget year, if you're serving on a finance committee, you know, we're talking day long hearings, not to mention the regular voting days that are happening. Last week, there were two full voting days on Wednesday and Thursday for the New Hampshire House. So, yeah, that, that can make it hard for your sort of regular nine-to-five job to serve in the legislature. And I saw some of that also in terms of underrepresented careers. 
So uh, only 5% of legislators have an identified background in healthcare, whether that's a doctor, a nurse, an EMT. And that's a much larger percentage of New Hampshire's workforce in reality. You know, 14% maybe of people in New Hampshire are working in healthcare. Um, also, a small percentage in manufacturing in New Hampshire legislature, even though that's about 10% of New Hampshire's workforce. So that, those were two interesting ones I was surprised, particularly the healthcare one, just because it is such a huge part of our economy. Yeah, no question. And I was surprised to find out that there were so few uh, state reps with backgrounds in uh, finance and banking uh, or insurance, for that matter. Yes, although that is also consistent with our workforce and, and that share of the economy. So it was about 4%, which is, is really tiny. You know, think around maybe 10, 12, something like that, you know. Um, are in that area. So, uh, you know, it's, it's also interesting to see, are we going to move forward on cryptocurrency legislation or anything like that? You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, it was uh, a, a very eventful week uh, last week uh, at, at the State House, and not not so much this week because uh, the uh, the legislature is uh, on sabbatical this week. It is the uh, school vacation week for uh, most of New Hampshire. So, New Hampshire. So that uh, that coincides with the fact that the legislature is not in session. But uh, the current makeup of the state legislature right now is two hundred one. Republicans and 198 Democrats. So what what has that meant uh, to this session so far of the uh, legislature? Well, it's been an incredibly tight margin on committee votes and bill votes when bills get to the floor. And so we actually saw this play out last Thursday because, yes, Republicans typically will have that little edge but we have about 25, 30 representatives who could be absent on any given voting day. And Thursday, it was bad weather. And at one point in the afternoon, you had either Democrats showing up late or Republicans leaving early. And suddenly, Democrats had a majority on the floor. So they actually passed a few bills that would not have passed if Republicans had a majority at that point. I'm thinking in particular a bill that would require students receiving EFA money, which is that basically you get to take that per pupil share of state funding and spend it on private or homeschooling. So they would require those students to be in public schools at least one year before accessing those funds. And the goal of Democrats here was to prevent students from accessing those funds if they've never been in public school, because they were the idea is, okay, their family has already been able to put them in private or homeschooling, so why are we giving them extra assistance? Republicans, of course, think this is very unfair to take away from benefit from students, force them back into public schools to get it. So that bill passed, but it was only on a preliminary vote. It's going to go to the Ways and Means Committee, since it does deal with money. It sort of has to go to multiple committees to see how it impacts taxes and revenue. So I don't think that bill will necessarily last in the wrong, long run. It definitely would hit a roadblock in the Senate, which has a solid Republican majority of 14 to 10. But, man, that was a surprise on the House floor for sure. Yeah, and uh, you were talking about uh, the EFAs, the Education uh, Freedom Accounts, and uh, there were other uh, setbacks as well for the Republicans uh, late last week. Yes, absolutely. Well, I will also say I, I'm not sure if I would call it a, uh, a setback necessarily, but we did also have marijuana legalization passed. That passed actually with quite a bit of bipartisanship, but maybe a setback for Republican Governor Sununu. 
Um, but also other bills passed by Democrats with that narrow majority. So House B-111, which would create a study committee to look at ways to create electric vehicle charging opportunities for residential rent- renters. Um, that is an interesting topic because we know that car manufacturers certainly are moving in the direction of electric cars. New Hampshire does lag behind in terms of electric vehicle infrastructure, and it's very challenging in terms of that tension of you see electric vehicles on the Republican side. There's some eye of suspicion, the idea that these are this is a bad investment. But at the same time, over time, if manufacturers are just only going to be offering electric cars down the road, we do need to be building that infrastructure now. Um, the other bill that Democrats passed, HB 234, would prevent New Hampshire utility companies from offsetting their clean energy obligations by using um, residential solar panels, sort of counting that as part of the process, which is very inside baseball on energy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's, it's it's yeah, I mean, I guess that you, the, the argument is that it's sort of like cheating. You know, you, you shouldn't be counting these residential owners who are doing their own thing in terms of your efforts as a utility company. So that bill also made a surprise comeback. Well, there was, yeah, as we mentioned, uh, some absentees among, uh, well, both sides of the aisle. But in particular, it seemed like the uh, absentees on the Republican side outnumbered those on the uh, Democratic side of the aisle. And and some, I think, uh, are beginning to, to question leadership in the Republican Party. Have you heard anything about that? I think that that's a little bit of a step too far, because this was only for during a certain period of time during Thursday afternoon, the both parties actually have had roughly equal attendance problems until then. And I say problems, this is consistent across all time. We were talking earlier today about how $100 plus mileage does not pay the bills if you need to work a job. And other people, of course, will have sick, car trouble, ch- child care challenges on a given day. So I have not actually heard any rumblings to that effect. There was a little bit of uproar in the House chamber when leadership called for a a break, basically saying we need to regroup because they realized they didn't have their majority anymore. But that's about as far as it went. That was it. All right. Well, Anna Brown is with us. Anna, stay with us. Uh, And uh, we'll talk more about what is going on these days under the Golden Dome in Concord. Right here on uh, Kale & Company, we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Anna Brown, our guest director of uh, research and analysis at Citizens Count. And you can check them out right now on Facebook or citizenscount.org. Tremendous uh, website at citizenscount.org. And uh, find out about uh, the bills that are pending and uh, find out about your legislators and who they are, who is representing you. We'll take a break. Kale and Company will continue right after these words on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Kale and Company live right here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. A delight to have you along with us. And also, always a pleasure to have Anna Brown on the show, the Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. On Facebook and uh, where else, Anna? Oh, we. You can also find us on Twitter. We get published across the state in newspapers through the Granite State News Collaborative Partnership. Yep. And also, we do have a little bit of an Instagram presence, although it, it's very tiny. But we might be resurrecting that a little bit in the coming months. 
Ah, okay. Well, we will uh, be uh, interested in hearing what uh, what will develop there. Uh, so, at any rate, uh, let, let's talk about something you just touched on very briefly in the last segment, and uh, that was uh, marijuana legislation. Where where do we stand right now? So the House passed a bill that did have bipartisan sponsorship, got tweaked a little from how it was introduced. The idea is it would be legalized. The Liquor Commission would oversee that process, but they would not have a monopoly on stores. And then the tax would come in at the cultivation level as opposed to retail sales. So that bill passed a preliminary vote because, once again, dealing a lot of tax and revenue questions, you've got to go to the Ways and Means Committee. So... It passed first committee, passed its first vote. Now it's on to second committee. I do think given the really large margin it passed by, it probably will also pass the House again after the Ways and Means Committee. And then it'll face its first big test in the New Hampshire Senate. Where there is a, a solid Republican majority at, at this point. And uh, is that going to be an issue for those who want to see uh, marijuana become uh, legal here in the state of New Hampshire, the fact that there is the Republican majority and a solid one in the, uh, in the Senate? It's, yes and no. It's, there are also some Democrats who are opposed to marijuana legalization. The question in the Senate is it has always historically voted against marijuana legalization, but we did have some significant turnover that got outed some of those Republicans who were noted opponents of marijuana legalization. So some of those new senators that are coming in to replace those folks include Senator Daryl Abbas of Salem, who actually helped craft one of the marijuana legalization compromise bills last year. So he might be more of an ally this year. And then the other senators, it's going to kind of remain to be seen where they're falling on that scale now that they're over on the other side. It will be interesting to say the least. So let, let's just theorize and say it does pass uh, in in the Senate. Uh, what's going to happen when it gets to the desk of Governor Sununu, who said that uh, in the past that he was uh, opposed to uh, marijuana legalization in the, in the state? We don't really have any indication that Governor Sununu has changed his opinion. So far, spokespeople for his office have basically said he doesn't think the bill is going to get there. He also doesn't think that New Hampshire is ready to legalize marijuana, given the other drug challenges that this state is facing, whether we're looking at heroin, fentanyl. Now, xylazine is getting mixed into the drug supply. That being said, I have to wonder if it really does pass with a solid majority in the House and Senate. Is there any chance that Governor Sununu could be swayed? He, he was softening a little in his rhetoric last year, talking about this one bill saying, oh, yeah, you know, that might be the way to do it if we were going to do it. But on the other hand, we also know that Governor Sununu is looking at a possible presidential run, and it would be unprecedented for him to run for a yet another governor's term next time around. So it's also possible that he really doesn't care about any backlash at all and would just say, nope, I'm against marijuana legalization and veto it. And I do not think the Senate would have enough votes that two-third majority needed to override his veto. Now, you, you said the, the bill, as it's uh, currently proposed, would have the, the State Liquor Commission overseeing uh, the, uh, the, the sale of marijuana. Is that correct? Correct. But, but they would not be operating stores like they do liquor stores. Right. But, uh, they, but they would not have a monopoly on it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So what, what does that mean exactly? Where, where would it be available? In, in private shops? 
o- overseen yes. by the Liquor Commission, or how, how would it work? Yes, yeah, so the cannabis, uh, the Liquor Commission would oversee manufacturing, testing, and sale of marijuana. And then the cultivation would also happen in New Hampshire. That's where the taxation would happen. The, li- the Liquor Commission would also oversee that. Originally, there was the idea that it would be taxed under the meals and rooms tax system. That's out the window. And then alternative treatment centers, which provide medical marijuana in New Hampshire right now, would have an option to deliver their marijuana to new retail locations. So, yeah, it, it's no, no monopoly for the Liquor Commission, but they would be involved in definitely regulating and overseeing the whole process. So you would not be able to walk into your local liquor store and, uh, and buy marijuana? I, no, I do, no, I do not think that was no. part of the proposal. I'd have, to, I'd have to go back and read line by line, but I do not think that was on the table. Yeah, but they would oversee it. Uh, so, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, that, that, uh, that does uh, make sense. So we'll, we'll follow that one. So uh, now where do we stand uh, with uh, abortion? There are several abortion-related bills in the New Hampshire legislature this session going in both directions. So, for example... There's a um, constitutional amendment that would protect reproductive autonomy. There are also uh, proposals to ban abortion starting at the detection of a fetal heartbeat, which is probably around six weeks. But it looks like the New Hampshire legislature so far isn't really interested in changing laws in any direction, either providing rights or, or protecting rights or adding new restrictions. The real interesting bills that I were watching were ones that would basically enshrine the right to abortion up to 24 weeks, which is where the law currently stands in New Hampshire, is you have that right to abortion until 24 weeks when there's that new law that says, nope, no abortions unless there is a fatal fetal anomaly, a threat to the mother's health, that sort of thing. We do also have a um, parental notification law for minor abortion. So there's a couple of proposals in the House and Senate that would basically freeze our laws and say that you have that right to abortion up to 24 weeks. We are not going to add any more restrictions. The rest of the law stays as it is. The challenge here is a lot of Republicans have been saying that this is basically pointless because this is already where the law stands. We're just saying we're not going to write future laws and you can't bind a future legislature. They could very easily rewrite this law, repeal this law, so it's a meaningless gesture. Whereas on the other hand, supporters of this say, okay, we aren't making any changes. We're all agreeing that this is where we want New Hampshire to stay, which is what many Republicans have been saying, that this is in, you know, where most people agree it should be, banning most late-term abortions, but you know, keeping it legal for those first two trimesters. So I thought those bills definitely had a chance of passing because we did also ask about this in our candidate survey for citizens count leading up to the election. And I noted that there were a significant number of Republicans who said, yes, I would be in favor of protecting the right to abortion up to 24 weeks. But it looks like now that they're starting to make their way to the floor, there is more of that resistance saying this is this is unnecessary. We don't want to put this in state law this way. So moving on, uh, no sessions uh, this week, and uh, starting next week, uh, what will be some of the uh, the bills that will be uh, uh, debated in the House and, and Senate? Well, I'm honestly very interested to see the state budget process move forward. They won't be voting on that yet, but HB2, the bill that includes a lot of the policy changes that accompany all the state spending, 
has yet to be released to the public on that official GenCourt website. So I'm watching that closely, and I'm very curious to see what's going to happen there for sure. Also, there are a few public hearings this week. It's not like no one will, will be in Concord. But um, definitely the, the, the meat of the debate is going to happen, not this week, but that following week. And uh, Medicaid expansion, that's another one. That's another one I'll be watching for sure. There's that's, Governor Sununu wants that as part of his budget, I believe. But there's also separate bills to be doing that in the Senate. And then other Medicaid expansion bills in the House, whether it's extending Medicaid benefits to 12 months postpartum or extending it to legal immigrants, that sort of thing. Never a dull moment, Anna Brown, uh, under the Golden Dome. That That is for sure. Anna, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Ken. All right. Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. You can find them on Facebook and on Twitter and uh, published uh, articles in uh, all the publications around uh, the state of New Hampshire, including the uh, Union Leader, the uh, Concord Monitor, and uh, others as well. We will take a break. Thanks to Anna Brown, and we'll be back. John Leahy will join us a bit later on to talk about Hockey East. But uh, we will take a quick break right now and return right here. Kale and Company Live on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company Live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you along with us. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find the plan that would fit you at deltadentalcoversme.com. As we mentioned at the top of the show... Uh, this morning, uh, the Concord Eye Crimson Tide completed yet another undefeated season. 18 wins, no losses, no ties as they head to the uh, postseason and being one of the top four teams, in fact, the top team in the state, but one of the top four, uh, they get a first round bye on Wednesday for the preliminary round of the tournament. And then the Concord will play Saturday at 4 at the Everett Arena against an opponent that will be determined on Wednesday. And uh, what a year uh, it was and what a finish it was, too, with a 3-1 to victory uh, on the road at Hanover on uh, Saturday afternoon, uh, playing without their top goaltender, Callan Goodrow, who had played in every minute of every game up until last Wednesday night when he was injured in a game against Keene at the Everett Arena. He missed the end of that game and unfortunately was out on uh, on Saturday due to that injury. But uh, the freshman, Lucas Mayer, played very well between the pipes. Uh, the Tide playing without two of their top defensemen and Jack Shoemaker and uh, Trevor Brown uh, played very well defensively and uh, won the game uh, 3-1. to one. So uh, an undefeated season for head coach uh, Dunk Walsh and the Concord High Crimson Tide. 
I don't know if uh, anyone saw that is listening right now the end of the uh, Boston Bruins game on Saturday night in Vancouver, but it was uh, a, a finish, or at least close to a finish, like none other in Boston Bruins history. With under a minute to go, and uh, Vancouver having removed their goaltender in favor of an extra attacker, so they had six attackers on the ice instead of the normal five, but the uh, goaltender had been pulled by Vancouver. Linus Ulmark of the Boston Bruins, the goaltender, took the puck and fired it the length of the ice into the wide-open Vancouver net. And that was the way the Boston Bruins went to a 3-1 to win and a victory over Vancouver on Saturday night. Uh, their Bruins were ahead 2-1 to at the time. That made it 3-1. to That was the final score. And it was the first time in the long and storied history of the Boston Bruins that a goaltender had ever scored a goal. Doesn't happen very often, folks. Does not happen very often. Uh, but it did happen on Saturday night. And uh, it has happened uh, well, I, 15 to 20 times maybe in the history of the National Hockey League. Uh, the leader in uh, that regard is uh, former New Jersey Devils goaltender Martin Brodeur, who as a goaltender scored three goals in the National Hockey League. And uh, Ron Hextall, former general manager of the Los Angeles Kings, but uh, when he was uh, in goal for the Philadelphia Flyers, Ron Hextall scored two goals for Philadelphia, uh, including one in the postseason. So it's, uh, it's a very rare feat in sports. And one that uh, no Boston Bruins goaltender had ever accomplished before Saturday night when uh, Linus Ulmark did it for the Bees. And the Bruins will be in action tonight. Uh, they will be in Edmonton as they will take on uh, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. Should be a great matchup. Uh, the Boston Celtics uh, won on Saturday night in Philadelphia on a last-second shot by Jason Tatum. Celtics Knicks tonight in New York. So what uh, what a sports weekend it was for the Boston teams, and uh, even the Red Sox won yesterday, uh, seven to six. Red Sox uh, a walk off win at JetBlue Park against the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. The Red Sox will be hosting the Minnesota Twins today in Grapefruit League action. John Leahy's going to be by and. Uh, Talk about uh, what happened in uh, Hockey East over the weekend in just a few minutes. Uh, Republican presidential contenders typically uh, fight for prime speaking slots at the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC. But as conservative activists gather in suburban Washington this week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will be uh, courting donors more than a thousand miles away in Texas and in California. The apparent CPAC snub is nothing new for DeSantis, who has emerged uh, in the early phase of the 2024 presidential election as a leading contender for the GOP nomination, even as he ignores many conventions 
of modern politics. DeSantis is a frequent voice in conservative cultural fights on cable television, but he often avoids gatherings of fellow Republican governors and party leaders who are quick to complain in private about his so-called go-it-alone approach. Uh, He is the only top-tier presidential prospect yet to court voters in Iowa, New Hampshire, or South Carolina, and those, of course, the states hosting the GOP's opening presidential primary contests. And he is often at odds with the press, refusing even to notify local media of last week's rare three-state tour with law enforcement. Indeed, uh, as DeSantis moves toward a White House run, it's becoming increasingly clear that the 44-year-old Republican governor will manage his presidential aspirations in his own way, on his own timeline, with or without allies in the national GOP leadership or relationships with the press. So there you go. That uh, from the Associated Press. Uh, DeSantis has in his style and the actions that he's taken as governor shown a willingness to fight the traditional powers that be the establishment. Uh, That, according to David McIntosh, president of the Club for Growth, a very influential conservative group based in Washington, McIntosh described DeSantis' style as refreshing and suggested the GOP is ready to move on from former President Donald Trump. And for now, uh, DeSantis is perhaps the most potent threat to Trump's effort to win the GOP nomination for the third time. The Club for Growth will host DeSantis among a half-dozen presidential prospects at a closed-door retreat in Florida next weekend with top donors. And folks, Donald Trump has not been invited. Meanwhile, uh, DeSantis has quietly begun to expand his political coalition on his terms just as he releases a book, The Courage to be Free, which comes out on Thursday. He spent the weekend huddled behind closed doors at a South Florida luxury hotel for a Freedom Blueprint, as they called it, Freedom Blueprint, uh, Blueprint Retreat with more than 100 donors, elected officials, and conservative influences. And influencers, too, as, as well. The attendees included former Trump chief of staff uh, Mick Mulvaney, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, and Texas-based donor Roy Bailey, who is a former member of Trump's National Finance Committee. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt and Tennessee Governor Bill Lee were also in attendance, along with the Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, Utah Senator Mike Lee, Texas Representative Chip Roy, and Kentucky Representative Thomas Massey. Uh, Fox News host Laura Ingram hosted a fireside chat with DeSantis on Sunday before he joined a fighting back against woke discussion with uh, uh, an individual who runs the uh, Libs, this is the name of the organization, the Libs of TikTok social media account. 
So uh, there you go, Ron DeSantis. In all polls that uh, at least I've seen uh, for Republican presidential wannabes in, in 2024, uh, Donald Trump tops the list, and Ron DeSantis is always about uh, 20 to 23 percentage points behind uh, Donald Trump at this stage, at this stage. And then there are others like uh, Nikki Haley and uh, former Vice President uh, Mike Pence that uh, come in with, uh, you know, about 7% or, or thereabouts of those who would like to see them as the uh, presidential nominee in 2024. But right now, uh, the top two, definitely uh, Donald Trump and uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We will take a break. Kale and Company right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Delighted to have you with us. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. They have individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. We'll be back right after these words. Kale and Company on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And we welcome back to his regular time slot here on the show, the longtime voice of the Merrimack College Hockey Warriors. And that would be my good friend, John Leahy. John, welcome back. Great to have you with us. And thanks so much for the invitation. Great to be with you as well. Well, John, what a weekend it was for the uh, Merrimack College Warriors. Yeah, absolutely, Ken. Uh, two very, very uh, tight games against the UMass Lowell Riverhawks. Uh, being able to win the first game on the road was important. And then a uh, 2 nothing shutout on Saturday night, a game in which I thought uh, Lowell outplayed Merrimack for large stretches. Uh, outshooting Merrimack 18-4 to in that first period, but uh, the Warriors got a couple of first-period goals, and they made them stand up, and uh, six very critical hockey points as we come down to the final weekend of the regular season. No doubt about that, and right now, as we're heading down the home stretch, as you mentioned, uh, Merrimack just one point behind number one Boston University. Yeah, uh, Merrimack has clinched uh, no no worse than third place in the conference. Uh, but, Ken, really what's important is just being able to secure one of the top four spots right. in, in Hockey East because you not, not only do you get the first round bye, but you get a home game in the quarterfinals. And all four of the top teams are just one home victory away from going to TD Garden and playing in the uh, Hockey East semifinals and then perhaps the finals. So... Uh, although Merrimack would like to win the, the top spot in the regular season uh, standings race, uh, the mission really has been accomplished. So, uh, you know, you get that you get that home game on that uh, first Saturday night, and then hopefully it's on to the garden from there. And, and we know that, uh, you know, right after the break, uh, Merrimack hit uh, uh, kind of a dry spell, but they have been able to uh, bounce back uh, remarkably since that time. Yeah, you know, uh, things are looking right. Uh, they're looking like they uh, righted the ship a little bit. You know, they were frustrated after losing three consecutive road overtime games. But uh, I think the BU weekend, uh, Merrimack started to uh, 
right the ship, and, uh, and they've been able to win four in a row. And, of course, Ken, as you know, this is the time of year when you want to be playing your best hockey. Uh, so they have one game this uh, upcoming weekend against Vermont, and hopefully they can uh, get some uh, momentum, uh, continue that momentum heading into the playoffs. Yeah, that'll be uh, Saturday at, at home uh, against the, the Catamounts of, of Vermont. Meanwhile, uh, BU will have a Friday night game at home against Providence and then uh, at Providence College on Saturday as they have uh, two games to go and uh, Merrimack uh, just uh, one left uh, on the schedule. So, John, what about uh, the, the UNH Wildcats this past weekend? Well, the Wildcats had uh, one game, Ken. They were in uh, Stores, Connecticut on Sunday. The Wildcats got to see the brand-new Toscano Ice Forum down in Stores. And uh, unfortunately, uh, things didn't go too well for the Wildcats. They lost 6-1. to one. But uh, UNH right now is in the ninth spot in Hockey East. Uh, the Wildcats can clinch that ninth spot if they defeat Vermont on Thursday night. And that would send them on the road against the eighth seed, uh, in the Hockey East Tournament, and that looks like it's going to be the Boston College Eagles. And if that is the case, then UNH and BC would be meeting in the first round for the second year in a row. And they played an epic game down in Chestnut Hill last year in the first round with BC winning in overtime. But the Wildcats uh, uh, look like they're going to get that ninth seed, you know, unless they lose to Vermont and UMass picks up points this weekend. In that case, they finish 10th. But uh, the Wildcats know uh, the area where they're going to be. And uh, they're hoping to finish up with a strong game against Vermont on Thursday. Well, there you go. And uh, so certainly heading down the home stretch, the Hockey East Tournament uh, on the way, followed by the NCAA Tournament. And, uh, John, what about the, the women's side of Hockey East? Well, the playoffs well underway, Ken. Uh, we had the quarterfinals in Hockey East last weekend and the top four seeds uh, were able to advance. Of course, I told you last week about the uh, first opening round games with uh, Merrimack uh, winning their uh, game over Boston University and uh, UNH beating Holy Cross. Well, the quarterfinals got underway, and the top four teams will advance to the semifinals, which will be this coming uh, Wednesday night. Northeastern will take on Boston College. 6 o'clock Wednesday night, and Providence heads up to Burlington, Vermont, take on Vermont. The BC Northeastern game will be at 6 o'clock. And then the Providence-Vermont game will be at 7.30. Both of those games uh, will be televised uh, either on ESPN Plus or Nesson. Uh, so you can catch those games. And then uh, we'll be coming up to the uh, Hockey East semifinals and finals uh, this coming weekend. So the women are uh, coming down the home stretch with the Hockey East playoffs. And, of course, they have their own national tournament as well. So be sure to check out those two games on Wednesday night. All right, so uh, so there you go. Both seasons winding down, but still plenty of excitement left, uh, both on the men's side and the women's side in in Hockey East. And uh, John Leahy, uh, did you happen to see the uh, uh, the the goal by Linus Ulmark on uh, Saturday night for the Boston Bruins? Yeah, I saw it after the fact. I was on the air when it happened. Yeah. No, that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, I believe he's, what, only the 13th NHL goaltender to uh, be able to do that. And, you know, the way this Bruins season has gone, uh, are you surprised at anything now, Ken? No, not at all. Not at all. And uh, it appears as if they were able to, uh, to able to uh, in Don Sweeney, the general manager, I would say uh, fleece the Washington Capitals a little bit, getting some help uh, for the stretch run. Yeah, it's like the rich get richer, right? Uh 
But no, I think that uh, Orlov and Hathaway, I think that just uh, continues to reinforce the team. And, and uh, you know, they, they're the best team in the NHL. You just hope that uh, the Bruins don't be uh, get knocked down by the president's trophy curse. You know, yeah. We've seen so many times where a team will blow through the regular season and then stall in the playoffs. But uh, this Bruins team is fun to watch, aren't they? And uh, that was uh, quite a moment Saturday night out there in Vancouver. And uh, hopefully they can keep it rolling in Edmonton tonight. Yep, and that's going to be a great matchup, too, with uh, Connor McDavid for uh, Edmonton uh, and uh, going against the, the best team. I mean, Edmonton's a, a very good team uh, themselves, but uh, the Bruins uh, are the best team right now record-wise in the NHL. And uh, to me, got uh, even stronger with those uh, pickups of uh, Orloff and uh, Hathaway over the weekend by Don Sweeney. And uh, there's still maybe more on the way. Who knows? But uh, nonetheless, uh, the goaltending has been amazing all year long. And now uh, Olmark scores that uh, that goalie goal, uh, which has never happened before in the history of the franchise, uh, over 100 years. Yeah, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Uh, Bruins have been around since 1924. And... Uh, and that happens for the first time. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I listened to two versions of that goal. I watched the clip. Uh, I yeah. listened to Canadian announcers, the Vancouver announcers, and uh, uh, then I listened to Jack Edwards' call, and uh, that was that was something Jack uh, was as excited as I've ever heard him. So uh, it's fun times for the Bruins, and, uh, and I hope they can continue that success. Now, that is uh, very, very true. And, again, uh, tonight they'll be taking on the uh, Edmonton Oilers, and uh, then another game tomorrow night to uh, finish off the road trip, and uh, it, it's it's fun. It's been it's fun to watch them. Fun to watch the Celtics, who won a, a thriller on Saturday night as well with a shot by Jason Tatum at the buzzer in Philadelphia. So uh, we have really been uh, spoiled rotten this winter by our by our sports teams, John. Yeah, I like it. It helps the winter go by fast too when you have winning uh, teams, but. Uh... Yeah, how about that shot by Embiid, too, uh, when, after the clock had expired? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know it. I mean, that was a split second. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Joel Embiid uh, threw up about an 80-footer, uh, you know, beyond the, the midcourt stripe, well beyond the midcourt stripe. As the uh, time was winding down, he just did not get it off in time, but it was a it was a swish all the way down the other end of the court and just missed you know, uh, going in, I mean, he, he didn't get it off quite in time, and it was it was obvious that the uh, the officials' call was correct. But that that was really something as well. That that would have uh, tied the game and sent it into overtime if it, if he had just gotten it off a split second earlier. Yeah, well, wouldn't it be fun if that Celtics 76ers rivalry comes back uh, the way, kind of like the way it was back in the old days? Uh, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty incredible, and uh, you know, that's another. Thing I saw after the fact as I was working Saturday night, but yeah, but two two just fun games uh, for the Bruins and the Celtics this past weekend, and uh, Celtics are fun to watch too. So uh, whichever sport you're watching, uh, you're going to enjoy it. Yep, no no doubt about it. And in uh, the, the Red Sox even won yesterday in walk off fashion over the Tampa Bay Rays in the in the Grapefruit League. <laughs> <laughs> was, the, was, the, uh, was the pitch count uh, clock involved? I got to ask. No, not at all. Not at all. Yesterday, <laughs> except you know, it sped the game up a little bit, but uh, it didn't. It didn't end on a pitch clock uh, violation. And that was that was bizarre on on Saturday. I did not see that uh, live, but uh, I've got to take a look at that. As the the batter did not get into the box in time, 
and a, a strike was called, which happened to be strike three. And that game against the Braves ended in a 6-6 tie as a result of the batter not getting back into the box in time. How about yeah. that? We'll see if that uh, improves the speed uh, of the game. Some people love it, some people hate it, but uh, it's a work in progress. It is. It definitely is a work in progress. Uh, as is this program, John, but we thank you for being a part of it and uh, much appreciated. And it's always a pleasure. Thanks again for having me on. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Very good. Thank you, Ken. All right. John Leahy, longtime voice of the Merrimack College Hockey Warriors, who had a big weekend. They're only one point out of first place now in the Hockey East. But as John said, they wrapped up one of the top four berths, and that's really the important thing heading into the postseason. Well, thank you all very much for joining us today here on Kale & Company. Hope you can do it tomorrow, same time, same station, and same sponsor. Our good friends at Northeast Delta Dental. Check them out, deltadentalcoversme.com. Be safe out there. Have a great Monday, everyone.